radical secular podcast, a demand for justice, equality, and rational public policy. Visit theradicalsecular.com for our full library of episodes and articles at the Radical Secular blog. Sign up for free access to exclusive content and giveaways. Email us with your comments and suggestions. And follow us on social media. Hello and welcome back to the Radical Secular Podcast. I'm Christoph Defoe. I'm Sean Prophet. And I'm Joe Kipinti. We're doing things a little bit differently this week because believe it or not, the Radical Secular is not our only job. <laughs> Sometimes other things come up in our lives and we have other obligations. So today we're going to have an abbreviated, unscripted conversation about a handful of topics. So get ready to get real with the Radical Secular. But before we get started, I want to remind you that if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out theradicalsecular.com and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. And if you're into reading, check out the blog at theradicalsecular.com. Okay, gentlemen, let's get into the t-shirt. Sean, you want to go first? Yes, I have my t-shirt says Black Alert. It is the Star <laughs> Trek Discovery. Anybody who's watched that already knows that. And I also have my COVID sticker because I got my second dose of Pfizer just a couple of hours ago. So I'm all set. Two weeks. I'm ready to go. Ready to party again. <laughs> Outstanding. You know what? It's funny because I have been working on this project, a really crazy project all month, and I finally finished it today. Woohoo. But I have a spreadsheet that was helped me tick off the, the sort of various elements of a very complicated project. And I used uh, dark gray for whatever. I'm starting to run out of colors, right? For the highlight. And so I used dark gray. And every time I put it in, I would say black alert. Black alert, like from the show, like in my head, I was so it's funny that you wore the shirt. I was like, ah, black alert. Ah, yeah. Um, okay, Joe, what do you say? Well, I got the, the other side of Star Trek, the very beginning of the, the original episode. This is uh, from the uh, alternate universe. Ah, so, yes. And, uh, you know, compelling character. You can't get any more than, than, than Spock when it comes to that. I mean, he's just, uh, he is the quintessential Star Trek character, right? Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and and he's got mirror universe. Spock has got a beard and there's a band called Spock's beard. So there's a whole yeah. story behind that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And uh, today I am wearing one of my bad religion t-shirts, which just simply says uh, bad religion, the age of unreason, which was their most recent album, which came out in uh, during the Trump era. And there is a ton of very Trump specific lyrics, which is unusual for bad religion. They usually don't go after like specific parties or specific people. It's not like that, but just goes to show how bad they thought it was that they made multiple songs based on the Trump administration specifically. And of course, it has the good old cross buster, which mm -hmm. is the Jesus cross with a slash through it, like the non-smoking sign. Mm -hmm. So my favorite band, one of my favorite t-shirts, I figured I would rock it today on this sort of unusual show. And I've been tasked with running this shindig, which is pretty easy because we are just going to go after it. I'm going to throw out a topic and the three of us will talk about it. And that's it. So I guess let's do it. Let's do it right. Uh, the news of the day, I would say, is that at, at least one of the elements is the state of the union or uh, really better, more aptly or accurately described as addressed the joint session of Congress for Biden. So let's talk about that. Like, let's discuss. 
Well, I think it was really interesting. It was a, it was a great speech. I love the speech, and there's I could get really into depth on that. But I thought I was not so happy with the idea that they only had 200 or so people in there. I felt mm. it, it detracted a little bit from the drama of the moment. And I was especially, of course, upset with the way that Republicans responded to a lot of the things that Biden said that were really good things for America. Like, for example, when he said something about fixing the lead pipes, they cut to a shot of Kevin McCarthy and he was just stone faced. It's like, right. who doesn't want to fix lead pipes? Right. And then th there was another one where he said something along the lines of that we've reduced poverty for America's children by half and no Republican applauded for that. Yeah, exactly. Like what it just is so reflective of what that movement has become, which is it's they don't care about actual public policy at all, that they have no plans other than to uh, just to obstruct what mm -hmm. and literally anything. Right. Wasn't there like a, the cancer was brought up and that yes. was one thing that got the GOP one to thing. Like the one thing. I mean, it's like that's where we have to go. Child poverty is not something you care about. I mean, that's remarkable. Yeah. That's remarkable. I, I think that there's a fair amount of fear on their side. I really do. I think they don't, they're afraid to show any kind of support because they're so ruthless with each other at this point. If they don't toe the line, the Trump fist comes at you. And I think that's part of it. The other part of it is just the bad faith in the arguments that they use and, and the fact that some of them are just really just bad people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, full on. Because, and, and you know what? It's the process that does that because, you know, as you go through the primary system and so forth, it really filters out the, the reasonable guys. Yeah. And women and, and mostly guys, though, I'll be honest. Right. Yeah. Let's be honest. But, right. Yeah. Not, but it really filters out people with with a little bit more sensibility mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it puts in the real radical sort of right wing mentality. And we get what we see. And speaking of women, I just think we can't we really cannot forget the momentous nature of that image of a president of the United States flanked by those two amazing women. And I think yeah. that's I think that this is one of the reasons why Republicans were so pissed off, because, I mean, things in the country are not going their way. They're unpopular <laughs> and all of that. So that's a, that's a great point. I mean, I'm laughing about that because, I mean, it's not funny because the reason why they are upset about Nancy Pelosi and Vice President Kamala Harris is because they are women and GOP people are at least uh, certainly the folks that end up in Congress are not into equality, right? They're not into right. equality of gender roles. They're into very specific, narrow gender roles. That is how they think about the world. And that's certainly how their constituencies do. Yeah, it was really, really powerful to see them up there. And I talked last week a little bit about checking my privilege, right? Which is something that I think Black liberal men and women are not asked to do a lot because it's like, look, we do have a lot of shit that we're dealing with. Right. But it doesn't mean that we can't be privileged in so many other ways as a man, as a person who is like a middle class person, as opposed to a person who doesn't have resources, as a person who is educated, all these things that give me a natural leg up. And so my point why I'm bringing this up is because so often I hear people discount the importance of seeing a minority in a certain role and why that matters. Like, oh, who cares, right? I don't see color or everyone's black, purple, yellow. I don't care what color you are, <laughs> black, purple, yellow, you know? But it really does matter. It really does fucking matter. It matters to see 
two women sitting in those seats. That matters for the kids that see that. Mm-hmm. But additionally, it matters because it fucking pisses off Republicans because they don't like to see that kind of stuff. No, I'm, I mean, images are very powerful. They really are. They get right into the into the emotional center and they really speak to you in ways that discourse and reason doesn't. Uh, and that was a, one of those powerful images. I mean, I can think of others, like, for example, seeing the Earth for the first time from space as a whole planet without borders, you know, all the weather and so forth. That was an incredibly powerful image. I know for me, I can think of one image in particular that really changed my outlook on, on religion. When John Paul II passed on and they had that funeral and I watched the funeral and I just I saw that procession of 100 percent men. Mm. Right, representing mm-hmm. how, how, how many Catholics are there? A billion, something like that. Insane, such yeah. a huge part of the planet, and not a single woman in that whole hierarchy. And right. and that just that image of that, it was like it exploded in my head. I was like, I was a little more sympathetic towards. At that point, I already I moved on, but I was more sympathetic towards Catholicism at that point. But then after after that, I just was like, wow, this is really fucked up. There's something mm. seriously wrong here. This well, is not how we should be representing the human race. Well, and I think just in the first you know, five minutes of our show today, we've pretty much catalyzed everything that the radical secular is about, which is reducing the influence of hierarchy in both religion and politics. That is our right. whole thing. That is why we're here. And like you said, when I heard you say that last week about checking your privilege, I thought that was very powerful. And I think it's something that all Americans can stand to do as well when you really think about the rest of the world. And we think about our- Oh, yeah. First world privilege. Yeah. What they're dealing with in Nigeria, or if if you were a transgender, or if you were any of those other things, there's there are- as we look at the hierarchy and dismantling the hierarchy, it's important to recognize where we are in it. Mm, critical. Such a great point. I mean, our good friend Ade, right? He's a huge fan of the show, helping us develop new elements of the website. And this is a guy who spent years, a decade or more living in the United States, but from Nigeria. And, you know, we talked to him online or whatever. And it's just like, this man has been dealing with these, with the power issues for Mm -hmm. a fucking month or for a month where it's just like you get maybe two hours of power a day and still... He is, uh, first of all, showing up to listen to our show, showing up to to post on Facebook and, and talk about the things that matter in Nigeria, that matter across the world, and that matter in the United States as well. And again, this is a guy, like, he is, I think, maybe a year older than me or a year younger than me. I can't remember. But the point is, like, this is my contemporary, right? Mm-hmm. This is, so like, it, it, like, I've, like, Ade, if you're out there, I always have found this, I have found this to be very profoundly eye-opening, but also just an opportunity for reflection of that privilege, right? And, and especially for Ade, because he's lived for a huge chunk of his life in the United States. So he knows exactly the difference between the two, which I think is very interesting. The other thing I want to mention is that, yes, we need to talk about privilege and, and the understanding of privilege is critical to social justice and moving forward. But I think we also have to talk very directly about oppression as well. I know that, for example, people in the developed world are struggling, not just because they're part of the developed world and they're poor, but because of all of the things that have happened to the developed world by the first world, in mm-hmm. particular the United States. And Sean, when you were talking about the militarism in mm-hmm. the last show we did, and you went through some of that. There's a lot more to cover. Uh, what the United States has done in Latin America, for example. Oh, my God. 
we need to speak truth to power. We need to have truth and reconciliation of what the United States as a global superpower has done in the world. And in the same way, the same thing with racism within the United States, it's the same thing. We've got to speak truth to power. We've got to stand up and, and say, look, this is why things are the way they are. We need to look at what's happened and point out the long-standing oppression that has led to th these privileged imbalances that we have now. It's not a static concept. Mm -hmm. No. And well said. Yeah. It, it, once you start thinking along these lines, you see it absolutely everywhere and you start to just go and it's, it's heartbreaking. Okay. I read an article just last night that was talking about how it was suggesting that we give the national parks back to the native Americans uh -huh. to manage, right? Because that was a, approximately the amount of land that they were originally granted in reservations that was then taken away and made smaller. And they, they were just cut off from everything. They were a part of the ecosystem. They were living off rivers and they managed America's ecosystem before anybody got here. It's like our forests and the way everything was had a lot to do with the way that it was managed by mm. the population. It's not just like suddenly you came here and this is what is so wrong with having God as the creator because it just erases all of those people, right? Mm. It, it's people, people think that they just came from Europe and it was this virgin land with nobody right. here. Rick Santorum this week said that. He's like, we oh got a nation from nothing. Ugh. Nation from nothing. What the fuck does that even mean? What the right? fuck does that Actually, mean? Actually, there's a historical reference to that because when the British came and settled in the East Coast, it was about a century or so after the native populations were eradicated by smallpox and other diseases. So the, the indigenous population of the Americas really was reduced by like 90% from those diseases. And by the time the British got here, the continent was a lot emptier because of all mm. that death. Right. It was just starting to recover at that That's, point. Wow. And so there are all these historical original sources you can look at that talk in those terms. Wow, yeah. look at this open land. God gave this to us. That's right. Fence, that makes it ours. I was <laughs> if, you, if you put yeah. up a fence on it or some kind of building, that, that legitimates that you own it. Yeah, the concept of the homestead. And I understand right. what homesteading is about. You work a piece of land it's, sure. it, that has value. Okay. But if somebody else was already there and they were slaughtered or kicked off that land just so that you could be there, there there's a debt that comes into play. And one of the things that's in that article that just shocked me, okay, we've all heard the word Geronimo, Chief Geronimo. Mm -hmm. okay? And Geronimo was, it, he was an amazing human being. And he was, yeah. there was a massacre where he lost his mother, his wife, mm -hmm. and yep. three children all at once on one day and that where they were slaughtered by Americans, by our it's ancestors. Just... Okay. And so this happened within about a hundred years of the time when I was born, about a hundred years insane. before I was born. That's this crazy. is recent. Every park, every national park is the scene of a war crime. Right. Wow. That is so powerful. And awful <laughs> it's just like it like we have to like both of you guys are saying is that we have to come to terms like uh, you say this a lot joe is that there's no reconciliation without recognition right the recognition right. of what happened you can't pretend like those things didn't happen and then think that everything's going to be okay. You can't pretend that native folks are going to be okay if we just overlook the genocide. You can't pretend that black folks are going to be okay if we just overlook the slavery and the Jim Crow. And the replacement theory fucking shitheads are the worst. Like the hypocrisy of the mm -hmm. replacement theory folks. It's like, wait a second. 
you replaced the people that were here. And now you're mad that you might get, quote, replaced, which, of course, you won't. And by the way, this just dovetails right into Tucker Carlson, which oh. is fucker Carlson. Fucker Carlson. That's our favorite name for him on this With show. Three K's in his With name. Three fucking K's. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> and anybody want to, like, jump on his comments earlier this week when he went? Well, anybody? Uh, they were so outrageous. I think that a lot of people, even on the right, were shocked. But I mean, <laughs> it was so outrageous. Completely ridiculous. I, I don't even know where to go with it. I mean, Sean, why don't you go ahead? <laughs> okay. Well, what I was going to say is I read a couple of op-eds and, and other reactions to, and, and what we're talking about is that he effectively, he had a rant where he was, not only was he saying that people shouldn't wear masks, but that if parents were making their children wear masks outside, that it was child abuse and people should call the cops. And he didn't just say, oh, call the cops. He was like, call the cops and keep calling them until you get child protective services out, until you, those parents are arrested. And so it's like, wait a minute. All right, we call him out on his hypocrisy all the time and the replacement theory is a whole nother topic. But this topic here is a topic where the Republicans, which remember they're the party of limited government, freedom, Mm -hmm. All this kind of stuff is now calling to bring the state to punish parents for raising their children as they see fit, keeping their children safe, whatever. It's like, we know that more people are getting vaccinated right now. We know the CDC is, is revising its guidelines about mask wearing outside. But for fuck's sake, if you want to wear a mask outside out of an abundance of caution, right? Why is that some sort of crime? And it's so preposterous and it's in such bad faith, mm -hmm. right? That he's bringing that up. He knows damn well that's bullshit. Yeah, so absolutely. why is he doing it? We have to ask ourselves, what part does this play in the fascist takeover that he mm -hmm. is? That's a good question. You know? That's a very good question. That's a great question. That's a, that, that, I, I really love how you did that, Sean, because uh, we try on this show to not get into the frivolous bullshit, right? Like we really do. We do point out hypocrisy all the time, but we, we don't pretend to be surprised by it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, why should we be surprised that Tucker Carlson is a fucking a bigot who is using hypocrisy to advance an agenda. But the question is, right, what is the agenda? Do you guys think it's just ratings? Is it that simple? Well, it's it's ratings, okay, for sure. He makes millions of dollars a year. And, millions. And he, he has to keep the audience of white supremacists happy. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he has to keep the audience of people who are pissed off about the government happy, right? Mm -hmm. So... You would think, I, I mean, I do believe that the reason why people hate masks, they hate Priuses, they hate bicycles, they, they hate- <laughs> Imagine uh, hating any, bicycles. <laughs> they hate plant-based meats. They hate anything that is good for you that you're supposed to do because a liberal elite somewhere studied this thing and figured out that it was the right thing to do, okay? Any of those things offend those people. And it's not just we don't want to do them. It's we don't want anyone to do them. Yes, that's an important distinction there. Yeah. And I think that there's a sense where you have to keep upping the ante to get the same level of up. Yes, right? yes. So that's what he's doing because, mm -hmm. you know, it's like a drug. You just have to keep sucking in more and more to get the same effect. And so he, they're just going over the top, just off the rails. That's a great point, Joe. And 
what ends up happening, I think, for the conservative rhetoric is I think the drug analogy is very good, right? Because they are driving right towards that sort of emotional center, bypassing yeah. reason, explicitly bypassing reason, right? We always talk about how they're muddying the waters. The whole goal is to make sure that folks are not thinking clearly and rationally about whatever the issue is. But what I think in terms of the drug analogy, I think is really good because, right, in the beginning, when you're in the Reagan revolution and you're pumping out this bullshit, it's welfare queens, it's uh, yeah. Cadillacs, uh, the people living large and fat. Oh, and, the, and the implication, of course, is that they're black and they're brown or un otherwise undesirable. And the same thing, by the way, with the AIDS uh, epidemic, right? Which was like, right, it's those people who are dealing with this, right? But over time, that doesn't get the fucking viewer off anymore. The viewer doesn't get off on a uh, dog whistle. The viewer can only get off on redder and redder meat until right. mm -hmm. Trump just comes out and says the quiet part out loud. And so it ends up being this race to the bottom. And this actually like loops back to what we were talking about in the beginning, which is that at the primary level then, the incentive is to go as hard into the red meat as possible. And that's mm -hmm. the kind of candidate that yeah. wins. And so it yeah. holds higher party to the right. And now someone like Liz Cheney, she thought that she would be able to call out the GOP and like turn direction, but they just turned on her. Right. And yeah, so like, that's what th they that, do. That's what they do. I, I yeah. have a, a little prediction. I think it's not completely out of the realm of the possible that Liz Cheney switches parties mm. because she did a I fist bump that. last night at the address when mm. Biden came in and that's going to play on a million different TV ads, right? Oh my God, of course. But I think the, the important point to realize here is that it's a cliche, but this is a distraction, okay? Joe Biden laid out the most progressive agenda, a complete remaking of the American economy in the mold of the New Deal, $6 trillion of spending, including permanent childcare credits. It's almost like a basic income for parents with children. Mm -hmm. This is huge. This is a, they're right. It's it, compared to how things have been in America. This is a very socialist agenda. And thank fucking God, even though we don't believe in God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> little G. I was like, thank God, little G. It's been so long in coming and so many people have suffered and it's time. It's time to it is time for this agenda and especially the infrastructure part of it. It's like when yeah. Obama first got in office, again, we had just had a financial crisis. A lot of people were out of work. We had 0% interest rates and we couldn't pass an infrastructure bill. Right. So that opportunity to rebuild our country at that time is gone forever. Never come back. That's right. Now we have another opportunity. And if we can get Joe Manchin on board, we can rebuild the country. And it's huge. It's just absolutely huge. It really is huge. I wonder how you guys think about this. I mean, I was reading Politico today. I was reading the coverage, some of the coverage of the address last night. And one of the sort of related items that I could have clicked on, which I didn't, which was that why Biden is popular or, or why the right went after Obama personally. And so my knee jerk reaction to that as a black man Mm -hmm. who has experienced racism in his life mm -hmm. and lives in a white supremacist country, my initial reaction is, oh, well, that's obvious because he's white. He's a white mm -hmm. man and not just white, but he's a white man. That's critical, right? Because mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton, right? I mean, obviously, right? Fair game. <laughs> right, fair game, obviously, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but he's a white man. And so it becomes hard in some ways 
to attack him from the right, especially because his policies are wildly popular. And it's not because, right, but Obama's policies, if they were just laid out, were also very popular. But like right. you, could, but but you could just shit on him, right, because he was black or whatever. I mean, how do you guys think? Am I overstating that case, do you guys think? Or what do you think? What else is going on here? Joe? Well, I think, yes, yeah, so racism is certainly a part of it. But you're right. I think there's more going on. I think that... Remember during the primaries, how Bernie Sanders got a, like a standing ovation of that Fox town hall meeting? Yeah, that's right. I think that, I think that if you can actually get past the, the fear-mongering outrage rhetoric that Tucker Carlson and others like him constantly spewing out, you find that some of the policies, these progressive policies are actually pretty cool to those people, right? Yeah. And so that's, and it, Sean, you're absolutely right. You hit it right on the nail on the head. That is a distraction tactic. Mm-hmm. Not to let that happen. The other thing is the Democrats are divisive mantra from the right, right? No, yeah. the Democrats aren't divisive. What they're doing is they're pushing an agenda that is very popular, even with a lot of Republicans. So yes. it's not divisive. What they're doing is they're, <laughs> they're pushing aside the political Brahmins of the yeah. Republicans. That's right. When a Republican says the Democrats are being divisive, what they mean <clears throat> is the Democrats are winning. And they don't have anything else to say. And that brings me around to, uh, I don't want to cut short the point about Biden because I think it was a very good one. And Mm. I think that the other thing you can't discount here is that Biden has been a colleague to a lot of these people. Mm, Great point. Very He's good been point. in the in in Congress for thirty two like thirty some years. Yes, yeah, insane yeah. how long he's been in Congress. So he gets a certain amount of, and I think Kamala Harris uh, gets that as well because mm-hmm. she has been a senator for a while. And mm-hmm. so I don't think Republican senators are as vicious towards her. And I mean, Obama was too. Okay, but wasn't he a first term senator? I think he left his first term to go, maybe a second term at the latest, but no longer than that for sure. Yeah. So. This brings us around to Tim Scott and why Mm. they chose Tim Scott and why Tim Scott said exactly what he said, because he absolutely knew that he could not go after Biden's policies. He did a little bit. He tried to accuse him of sandbagging the infrastructure bill with a liberal wish list, whatever it was. But these are all things helping people with their rent. So they can pay for their homes, you know, the landlords can pay for that. It's just putting that money into the economy is infrastructure. Absolutely. It's not roads and bridges. Roads and bridges are a big part of it, but there's so much more that's in those bills. And I can't really speak to exactly, I haven't studied them, but I can guarantee you that what's in those bills is going to help the country in a major way. And it's also going to put a lot of people to work. That's going to make a big difference. It's a Keynesian economics bill. It's modern monetary theory in action. Everything we've talked about. Okay. Absolutely. And this is what the Republicans hate. And that's one thing that I think was one of the most important things that he said was he declared from a sort of state of the union address that trickle down economics do not work, have never worked. It was one of the most important things that he said. So the Republicans can't argue with that because they know. And that's why they brought out Tim Scott to effectively take the Tucker Carlson line on race. Mm -hmm. Right. I I call it Tucker Carlson in blackface because it sounds insulting, but I could put those two up on a split screen and I could find clips of each of them saying the exact same words or phrases that Tim Scott said last night. And it's great replacement. It's America's not a racist country. It's all of those things. Just after he told a story that he was profiled. 
<laughs> That's what I love. What's her face? I can't remember. Um, during the Republican National Convention, she did something similar. North Carolina, maybe. Anyway, but she goes, gets up there and she does her little speech. And she says, like, when I was a child, I in South Carolina, I, a child of immigrants, and, and was impacted by racism and da 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 da. But America's not a racist country. And it's like, wait, what? So basically, I, on one hand, trying to establish themselves as, oh, yeah, I know what you're going through, minorities. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, saying what you're going through, minorities, is not real. It's, yeah. it's an astonishing sleight of hand, which, by the way, for people who are looking to, to hang their hat of I'm not a racist on, right. it, it gives them the exact hook they need. It's essentially the I have a black friend defense, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's very analogous to that. It's like, I can't possibly be racist because I once experienced racism. I can't possibly be racist because, yep. you know, da, 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 da. And it's bullshit. It's fucking bullshit. Well, I mean, if it's not systemic racism, if America is not racist, then how do you explain all the disparities? Exactly. How do you explain the fact that the average wealth of (laughs) white Americans is like 10 times more than and and the gap is getting worse, not better? How do you explain all those all those disparities? If you say it's not systemic, it's not society, then you have to say, well, it's the individual. So what does that say? Right. Exactly. What is the message there? And this ties back into our episode on race, genetics and IQ that we did, Mm -hmm. where we went through what the right wing line is on this. And their line is absolutely that the strong, the smart will make it and the rest shouldn't make it. That's their. Exactly. And the black culture. Mm-hmm. Sort of right, like oh, it's not because this is their new line of saying like no, it's not that I'm racist. It's against black people. It's that it's their culture that's the right. problem, and like the yeah. layers of problems with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many layers. One of the biggest layers is first of all, like their fundamental misunderstanding of what that culture is, and yes. they're stereotyping young black men gangsters essentially as what that culture is which of course is just one tiny sliver of it that'd be like me pointing to a trailer park mom from west virginia and saying that's what white people are that's fucking ridiculous that's what white culture is that's ridiculous of course that's not right that is one constituency one element one tiny piece of a larger puzzle but again as we're talking about here the goal is not clarity here the goal is explicitly muddying the waters explicitly muddying the waters and giving people a lazy mental hook to hang their bigotry on that's what we're talking about here and their hypocrisy too and their hypocrisy because they're perfectly willing to make that distinction between the trailer park mom and other white people who are more (laughs) successful so true but you get 40 and 50 year old black men who are bankers or whatever being pulled over and treated like thugs. Exactly. Exactly. And as far as saying America is not racist now, that is something that the actual sort of more modern Republicans are saying. The real right wingers are saying that America is racist against white people. <laughs> right. <laughs> so true. Right. Well, it was so, interesting yeah. to hear Kamala Harris this morning when she sort of nuanced this point a little bit. And I think she's a very smart tactician. And I think that she understood that this was a fucking minefield. And Mm -hmm. so she kind of agreed with Tim Scott and said, "Uh, yeah, America's not a racist country, but we have to really be aware of our racist past. So Mm. that was 
I wish that she hadn't said that. I wish that she had just come out and said, yeah, America is racist. But, you know, she's the vice president, so I don't know that she can really do that. But what do you think about her response? I'm with you on that. Let me I'll make an analogy. I always think that Barack Obama is far less religious than he puts himself out to be. For example, I think that when you are in this position, especially as a black person, um, a black woman, right. for fuck's sake, the first black woman ever, you're able to, you need to play it cool because no matter how smart and progressive and thoughtful, you know that the right wing is just looking for reasons. Now, that, to be fair, they will find reasons anyway. And so you shouldn't concede the ground and say like, oh, I'm just not going to. And I think uh, a criticism of Obama that I have and that I think a lot of people correctly have from the left, that's a weird way to put that. I was going to say rightly from the left, but so <laughs> that's why I corrected myself. Um, <laughs> but, but like folks from the left correctly sort of criticize Obama, his unwillingness to just to be bold and thinking that, oh, yeah, the Republicans are going to respond to that, which they never will. But I see Kamala Harris's response from that perspective of being like, look, you got to tread lightly. And because all these words will be used against you. Yeah, but I can hear an ad, though, coming out where they say even Kamala Harris agrees that this is not a racist right. country. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. They probably already put that out on some place. It's already out. But I, I totally hear you, Christoph. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I got a little bit of that as, as an immigrant kid. I have to be mm. really careful not to diss America. Right. Mm. <laughs> I, I, that, I, was, I was profoundly aware of that as a kid not to do that because I was the exotic little immigrant kid in a, in a non-immigrant community. Sure. And so I had to toe the line and be like extra patriotic, right? And it's the same kind of thing. They're looking to attack you for your, you know, they were looking to attack Obama on the angry black man stereotype, right? Oh, yeah. That, that, it, it, look, look, see, it's true, right? Yeah. He had to be super careful. And I think Kamala Harris has to do the same. And, and she has the added challenge of also being a woman and all those stereotypes. They always throw at women. I mean, look at what happened with Hillary. And Oh, my God, that poor so woman. It's a tough thing to balance. I mean, I agree with you, Sean. It, it, they can be used as propaganda, but I don't know. It's tough. I don't know what I'd do in her situation. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly not going to try to second guess her, but I just hate the whole narrative. And I hate the fact, I mean, what is going on with Tim Scott? How did he get to be the way he is? I mean, <laughs> you know. I know. No, I know it's really interesting. Like having grown up in the environment that I grew up in, I get it. Like I understand how he got there. I think that in a different set of scenarios or circumstances, I could have ended up in a similar place. But just given who I am, and this maybe is kind of what you're getting at, right? Like, where's your moral compass, though? You know what I'm saying? Like, because even if you go down that path a long way, like, at what point do you say, like, wait a second, though, these people are obviously bigots. And speaking of which, and we are sort of, I think, getting toward the end of our time here. You had a really great post this week, Sean. Uh, both of you have great posts all the time. But you had a great post, Sean, this week about menthol cigarettes. And, oh, yeah. uh, and black people love menthol cigarettes. Um, <sighs> funny enough, and this is a funny story. So I smoked cigarettes for probably a good 15 years. I smoked cigarettes and I don't smoke cigarettes now. It's been about 
seven years now since I've smoked a cigarette and I was a full-time smoker. You know, I smoked every day, a pack a day and I smoked menthols. And it's funny because I always talk about how I'm not like a typical black person, but of course I end up with menthol cigarettes. There you go. <laughs> Here I am. But, but anyway, so, but talk about that a bit for a moment, Sean. Well, yeah. I mean, this is really something else because this is Joe Biden's constituency. Urban black voters put him over the top. And so it's a bit more complicated than it would seem. It's not just Joe Biden is banning menthols. This has been going on for about 10 years or so with the FDA getting authority to regulate cigarettes and then deciding whether or not they're going to regulate nicotine, deciding whether or not they're going to regulate flavors. And some consumer group, I think, sued the FDA at a certain point. And so what's going on is there's a deadline that's coming up at the end of April where they have to respond and they've decided to respond positively. But I think it's really boneheaded because you could make an argument from a public health standpoint that actually regulating menthols is going to help the black community disproportionately because they smoke so many of them. But I don't come down on that side of the argument because I think it's paternalistic. And I think that there's already been enough. There's People have to pay higher health insurance, higher life insurance premiums. Smoking has been banned a lot of places. People are smoking outdoors. The secondhand smoke problem is really an issue more in the South than it is the rest of the country. And they could fix that by banning public smoking indoors. So there's a lot of responses that could be done that would not alienate black voters. I mean, you had Joe Biden winning the presidency in three states by like 40,000 votes. And so it would just be a shame to lose the climate, the economy, voting rights, and all the other things that Biden's trying to accomplish yeah. over menthol cigarettes. And it's a personal component here because I smoke menthol cigarettes, not the full green ones, but the Marlboro Blues that have a light menthol, right? And just a few. I've switched to vaping mostly. I don't vape on the show anymore, but I, I switched to vaping because it's healthier. But I still like a couple of menthol cigarettes at night. And I just think that we've already put a big tobacco settlement in place. And if they want to raise cigarette taxes higher, you should do that. I don't, I don't mind paying more, but, but a ban is like an infinite tax. And that's going to create a black market. The ACLU actually came out against the ban because they're saying it's going to cause more interactions with police for black mm -hmm. people. So mm -hmm. those are kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I tend to come down on the same side of this. I'm definitely anti-prohibition in general. I think it tends to be a bad outcome. I mean, I'm for legalizing drugs in general, right? And I think what I what you said in your piece I thought was good was that people should be able to make their own decisions and like we can offset those additional externalities, as you say, by increasing insurance premiums, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I wonder, I don't know the percentage of the black community who smokes. I also don't know the, the percentage of the black community that smokes menthol cigarettes or anything that also votes. I really don't know. I find it hard in my mind. I'm like, are there, because in my mind, are, are these church ladies like busting out Newports? Like I, I tend to think not like in the big hats or whatever, but still it definitely does impact the black community. And it I have feels, the image now. <laughs> yeah, you have the image, right? And it, it, but it, it feels like a pretty targeted, narrow thing. And it feels very personal. I can imagine how that could feel very personal for a person of color who smokes cigarettes or whatever. Well, and also, I think that it's a great opportunity for the other the Republicans to, to hammer that issue as well. Gold plated. Yeah, yeah it really, really is. <laughs> I think I think the paternalistic problem is a big one as well, because I think you do have to 
pick and choose your battles as a state, as a government, right? If you're going, to, right. If you're going to mandate certain things, it, it better be damn good reasons for it. You can't just go willy-nilly mandating everything because <laughs> you're going to get a lot of pushback. Right. This is the hill you want to die on, you know? Right. It's a real irony in states that have legalized marijuana where you can buy marijuana, which has been like a schedule one drug for like almost 100 years. And you can't buy you can't buy menthol cigarettes or, or flavored cigars. They're taking away all of those flavored cigars as well. Right. So they're just uh, trying to make it not any fun to smoke. And right, right, that's not yeah. the way to do this. Hey, I agree. One of the things you said that I think is important here is, I mean, the role that drug enforcement has played in mass incarceration mm-hmm. and, all, and the police issue is huge. It's not small. We don't want to add to that, right? You know, we, we certainly want to create uh, better conditions rather than more problems in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. Like we don't want to add additional petty crimes that will cause people of color in particular who are, as we know, over policed to interact with law enforcement when it's just like, what kind of, why, why are we doing this in the first place? Like what value are we getting? How many lives are we saving? Or is it, as you said, Sean, this sort of moral crusade, which I think at time, it sort of feels that way. And that's not how we roll here at the Radical Secular. No, and this is the thing is harm reduction, okay? Harm yeah. reduction says vaping rather than smoking. That's harm reduction. and. Yet now I can't go to the store right now and buy a flavored vape. Can't do it. Right. Right. So that has been banned and they're going to ban flavored tobacco now. And so you're just driving people back to full strength cigarettes. Absolutely. You know, besides the race taxes and put it into education model works pretty well. Yeah, exactly. Only 15% of only 15% of Americans smoke. It's way, way down. It's way down, way, way down. And that is ultimately a good thing. But we, as again, as you said in your piece, Sean, is people should be able to make bad decisions if they want to, as long as we can mitigate the harm to society that those decisions may or may not cause. But look, guys, we are uh, at the end of our time. So I want to thank everybody for being here. And if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out the radicalsecular.com and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post at noon Eastern on Mondays on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. And if you're into reading, check out the blog at theradicalsecular.com. I'm Christoph Defoe. Thank you for being here. And remember, wherever you are, you can be radically secular. You've been listening to the Radical Secular Podcast, a demand for justice, equality, and rational public policy. For full video episodes, please subscribe to our YouTube channel.